0: Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. My name is Carrie Shumway, and I'll be your host today. I speak with Tim Neer from Aggregate. Aggregate is a group procurement organization, and Tim and I talk all about purchasing, sourcing, supply chain—all those buzzwords that we've been hearing so much about for the last couple of years. Tim talks about what purchasing is, why it's so important. And in the data that he sees, where most of those dollars end up, whether it be malt, hops, cans, glass, paper, and so forth. So everybody knows that getting better pricing is important, but there's so much more to consider when it comes to purchasing. So Tim takes us through his five rights of purchasing, quality, quantity, price, place, and time. We dig in on a nine-step sourcing model to help you source your products better. And we talk about Porter's five forces. What is that? Well, listen in to learn about it. So now, please enjoy this conversation with Tim Neer from Aggregate. Hey, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Kerry. Great to see you again. Great to see you as well. So we're going to talk about purchasing today, supply chain issues, all that fun stuff. But uh, give the listeners some background on your business, on Aggregate, and the services that you provide to the beer industry. Sure, well, yeah, the company's called Aggrogate,
1: A-G-R-O-W-G-A-T-E. Um, and the idea here is that we help both uh, participants in the beverage uh, supply chain, both the brewers or usually, but it could be soda makers or wineries or others. And then their suppliers um, come, come together. We do a few things. So one, we, we work mostly with, uh, with the, the beverage producers, let's say breweries. Um, to help them do better with their supply chain and and buying. So we'll help them find new suppliers, maybe get uh, better access to supply, um, help them solve problems. Maybe they're thinking of launching a new product and never bought certain things before. So we've got a lot of experience we can bring into that. We also bring in scale purchasing. So most of the clients we work with, you know, craft brewers, they're they're fairly, fairly small compared to large consumer products companies. And we help them, bring some scale and some expertise that they may not have them themselves and help them punch above their weight a little bit. And that's been really effective for us. Every now and then we'll do some consulting, you know, uh, helping them with a, a very specific problem or uh, helping them think through an issue. But that's generally what we do, Carrie, is help them buy better on the supplier side. Same thing, just a different, a different side of the table. We'll work with uh, suppliers to help them, um, you know work with new breweries that they haven't worked with before do it in a more effective more effective way uh, so we really are the bridge between there and, and hopefully the idea is that both on the supplier side and on the on the uh, brewer and beverage maker side everybody's able to, to grow their business and, and grow their their p and and grow their, their revenue so that's why aggro gate uh is the uh, is the name of the company
0: i like it how many breweries are you working with now and in- what does an ideal brewery client look like for you in terms of size or characteristics? Yeah. I mean,
1: we work with a bunch of breweries all across um, the, the continent, you know, uh, four time zones, uh, both in the U S and, and Canada. Um, you know, we're adding clients all the time. Uh, breweries are having, and everybody's having a harder and harder time with supply chain, particularly since COVID but, and now coming, you know, as we emerge from COVID into the new world, it, there's been a lot of, uh, lot of problems out there and with that a lot of opportunities carry so um we have a a number of brewers across the the country from coast to coast and and all the way up north in in, in canada where where uh, i'm originally from by by the way um now i live here on the east coast but i guess the other thing is a typical brewery client i mean we wouldn't say there's a perfect client it's you know those that we're able to help more are the ones that we like the the best you know, um, but normally we deal with the, the larger craft breweries, you know, several tens of thousands of, of barrels up to hundreds of thousands of, of barrels. Uh, but it really depends on what the nature of the issue is and how much we can, how much we can, we can help. We don't have a perfect client, uh, Carrie.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. So let's dig in on purchasing. I know this has really hit the uh, the public consciousness quite hard since COVID, you know, purchasing and supply chain and, and all this stuff and and uh, you know, it's really an important topic. So tell us a bit about, let's just start maybe with a definition or how you define purchasing and then why it's so important. Yeah, you know what, when you said it was really hit the,
1: the forefront, I thought you were gonna say it really hit the fan. Because <laughs> it, <hit the> <laughs> it got a lot tougher uh, over the past couple of years as we've navigated through through COVID and, and it's it's still still tough uh, going forward. Um, it's, it's important for a couple of reasons. So number one, the items that a, a, an operation buys, they, they represent the, the largest expense typically in, in the operation. So uh, it's the one that should have the most attention put, put towards it. And in some cases, that's, that's true. But in other cases, there's not as much attention or maybe there's an attention to certain categories that the brewery knows very well, uh, but not the entire spend. So if you look at it, you know, through the lens of where does the money go? whether it's on you know uh, grains or packaging or or other things it's very significant in terms of the brewery and that can be for the good or for the bad. if you let it get away on you it can be significantly more expensive than it should be Um, and that's a big that's a big issue right now everybody's trying to try to compete but there's some other things beyond cost that are really important too and um you know we'll talk about those i think as we go through the call but You have to make sure you've got the right quality lately you have to make sure you've got the right security of supply and making better arrangements with your suppliers gives you the ability to have less risk in these trying times where there isn't enough capacity in some cases so it's all about that the total package to make sure you can run your operation at good quality with good service at the right price and um, unfortunately it doesn't get as much attention as, as it should, given the magnitude of the impact it can have on the on the bottom line and the ability to run your beverage operation.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. and that's a a big reason as to why I wanted to talk to you and kind of spread the word because so I think so much of this is just you know we we often forget the most important things, right? And this is just bringing awareness back to and with due respect, you know, purchasing isn't always the sexiest thing to talk about, right? You know, as brewers, craft brewers, we want to talk about, you know, new beers and innovations and so forth. But purchasing can be a huge way to differentiate your brewery and in- increase, you know, your own financial results and profitability. And as you said, you know, pound for pound, it's, it's probably the largest item, expense item in your income statement, you know, 50% plus or minus Take your sales by 50%. That's probably about what you're spending uh, relative to your cost of goods sold. So it's a huge area of opportunity. As, as you look at the data. Um... And by the way, I, I think purchasing is plenty sexy,
1: FYI. And, <laughs> and over the past year or two, it's, you know, it's certainly gone up the scale a little bit. I mean, unfortunately, it's 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 gone up the scale because things have happened that maybe if there had been more attention paid here or a little bit more sophisticated approaches, that, the, that those risks that got realized would not have happened if if there'd been a little bit more attention in this area. So, so I think it's getting more sexy, Kerry, uh, uh, just for
0: what it's worth, I want to be clear on, on that. Okay, fair enough. Right. So, so when you look at the dollars, um, for purchases and cost of goods sold, where do you tend to see most of those dollars being spent? So, you know, tops, cans, glass, how how does that kind of, you know, get uh, spread across the cost of goods sold there?
1: Yeah, it's it's a little bit different depending on the type of operation you you have. So um, if you're an operation that's primarily on-premise focused, you know obviously you have a much different scope than somebody who's doing you know package forward uh, type of operation but but here's the general just let's let's say it's a me- medium-sized brewery that has some packages has some on-premise uh generally you look at the big the big items are uh your malts your hops your cans your bottles and then your paper packaging think about like a, a trays and and can wraps and that that sort of stuff. Most of the breweries we work with those are the those are the big ones and and sometimes it's in that order. sometimes it's not. you know again, if you're if you're more on premise focused then you know the grains and the hops and the agricultural items are going to be right at the front of the list if you're more, you know um, focused in, in packaging yeah, well you know, lately it's cans or bottles to be at the top top of the list and maybe it might be competing with malt for the number one position but if you look at those fo- those five items that's the lion's share of the cost of cost of inputs um and what we found is that they've been moving a lot lately there's some other ones in there that you know things like transportation or specialty ingredients like uh you know uh, sweeteners uh, fruits, that sort of thing, as, as people engage in different different types of products. But generally, that's, that, that's the trend that we see carrying a typical brewery Those those five are at the top of the list.
0: Take us through this concept uh, called the five rights of purchasing. And you can tell me, is, is that something you would come up with or if that's a, um, something that's kind of out there in the world of purchasing? So what are the five rights of purchasing and why are they important for, for brewery owners to know about?
1: Well, it's it's not something I came up with. I wish it, I wish it was. I, I like it, uh, but it's something that you know. If, if you do take purchasing and and uh, you know so, schools like I like I have, it's it's one of the first things you learn. Okay, um, and I think it was at Michigan State. I actually, heard this one in, in their purchasing program there, um, which was a long time ago now. Carrie, I'll be honest, but right right now, I think the the five rights are more important than than ever. So number one, these are not in order. But they, they could be, you know, I, well, number one, the right quality, okay? If, you, if you're not buying something that's going to meet your quality, and there's a lot of ways to define quality, okay? So that, that's often uh, business and brewery specific. But you have to have the right quality that meets your needs. You have to have the right quantity, which has become so critically important over the past couple of years in, you know, a supply-constrained environment. Um, you can't make beer if you can't get the stuff to package it in. And we've all heard the news about you know, constraints on canned supply, for example, and, you know, some of the um, other uh, packaging ingredients. And we're, we're coming into a tough period on grains as well with the poor crop conditions that came out of last year. So the right quantity is very important. It's something I think maybe we used to take for granted that we can't anymore. Obviously the right price, that doesn't always mean the cheapest, by the way, the right price including all these different elements of, of value is important, uh, the right place, So you got to make sure it gets there uh, uh, and where you need it to be. And and then the last five is the right time. Okay, so right quantity, right quality, right price, right place at the right time. Those last two, the the place and time, you could say that is service as well. You know, if you need it by Tuesday at noon, did it get there by Tuesday at noon? You know, those 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 sorts of things. So I think the the key thing here is when you're looking at at buying, you've got to have all those Covered. I'm sure there's other elements too, but those are the ones, those five rights. You better make sure you tick all those boxes, or you might be missing something and exposing your company to some risk um, or losing some opportunity uh, by not covering all those items.
0: Yeah, I like that because it's, you know, it's, you can wrap your head around it. It's re- relatively simple and straightforward, but I'm not sure that this is always front of mind for folks when they're purchasing. You know, when, when I talk to folks, it's, It kind of begins and ends with the price. Well, what's the price? What's the price? You know, we're always negotiating the price. I I find that a lot with folks that are looking for a loan. They're only looking at what give me the best interest rate. And there's so many other components to think about. Well, what's the term of the loan? What are the conditions? What are the covenants? What are the financial promises and guarantees? There's so many things that could be so much more important than, than simply just the rate, or in this case, the price sure we want the best price but if you can't get the product where the quality is off or it's not showing up at the right i mean you've you've basically you know shot yourself in the foot so i it's quality quantity price place and time it's a nice mental model i think to as yeah. folks can think about purchasing yeah. i've seen it described as
1: you know the, the the five-legged stool which is a bit of a big stool i i suppose yeah. but that but that's the way to look at it is you need all five of those legs or the, the stool might to my tip over and it's, it's really important. And, and a lot of times people realize after the fact, oh, I should have, I should have watched that. You know, I, I got a great price, but you know, I can't, I can't get it to get it there in time ever. Um, or even worse, I've got a quality problem. That That's a, that's a really severe impact. So yeah, I would encourage everybody to just have that in front of mind all, all the time and make sure you get all those, those covered. Of course, you gotta have to, a good price. Of course you do but you got to make sure you cover all those other items as uh, as well and for the suppliers out there that might be i mean this is something you need to make sure that as you're talking to your potential customers or talking to us we're, we're going to make sure that we've got these items covered as as well so, it, it, so suppliers if you're offering something don't forget to cover these five rights as, as well not just not just offering a, a good price cover all these all these things and it'll, it'll be a much better longer term collaborative relationship going going forward which is what we all want
0: so I've heard you speak about buying and sourcing. So maybe you could tell us a little bit, like what's, how do you define both of those? And really what's what's the difference between those two? Well, I think it's,
1: it, 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 I guess it's a bit of semantics, I suppose, but more of a mental model, let's say, than, than a precise definition. But to me, I look at the buying as the day-to-day activity. And this is the stuff that you do, you know, when you're on the, the brewery floor in the warehouse and you're you're trying to get the orders out. You're trying to get your material releases out. You're trying to make sure you've got everything ready for the next uh, production run or filling run. It's the day-to-day transactional activity. It's the stuff that has to happen. And if it doesn't, something's going to go wrong tomorrow, you know, or next or next week. But sourcing is a little bit different sourcing. The way I would think of it is deciding who is going to be the supplier of these things that you're eventually going to buy in the day-to-day activity. And that's a, that's a much more important decision. It's typically a longer term decision, typically should take more time. It's a deliberate process and a deliberate methodology in order to make that decision That that um, is often, could be a multi-year decision and very significant in terms of the dollar, dollar amount. So what I've said is don't, do the buying until you've done the sourcing. Make sure you know why you're buying from who you're buying from and, and under what uh, under what conditions and spend the time there. What I found is we're all so busy, Carrie. it's just you, you have to do the day-to-day stuff and you don't have as much time um, to, to really focus on those longer-term decisions to set yourself upright because you're just trying to keep, keep your head above water. Especially during the summer in the beer business and especially with supply constraints, <clears throat> that's even gotten more severe here over the past couple of years as we've tried to you know keep up and manage through a very volatile consumer demand period as COVID comes and goes and regulations come and go. So it's been really, really tough, but it's a huge miss not to do the sourcing piece and just do the buying uh, because you're probably you're probably not approaching it in the most effective way for your, your business. Hey, I would also say, Carrie, a lo- all of our businesses have changed a lot during COVID. They change a lot anyway, but especially over the past couple of years, that the pace of change has been severe. So if you're doing things the same way you were doing last year or the year before, probably means you haven't spent as, well, as much time as you should have on sourcing because the business has changed around us. We have to make sure our practices, our partnerships, the way we actually make decisions on who's going to supply are changing appropriately as, as well. and so that, that's the key di- distinction there Jerry, is buying versus versus sourcing
0: okay yeah so maybe think of i, I the way I interpret that sourcing is kind of the planning the homework uh, any contractual uh, obligations that you enter and then buying is just executing on that so yeah the decision is the sourcing executing on the decision is is the buying gotcha that's it you, you guys have a a nine-step sourcing model is that something you could could run us through and or or maybe high spot some of those nine steps for, for folks to uh, to learn from.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, so this is how we, we help companies make that that decision, or if we were doing it ourselves, how we would do it our ourselves. So so I mean, we try to keep this consistent. Every category is a little bit different. You know, hops are different than cans are different than corrugated boxes are different than you know uh, fruits, but if we have this model in our mind, it, it, it keeps us it keeps us um, professional and it keeps us moving forward in a way that everybody can get around. It also makes sure that if decisions are going to be made that we do it in a co- cooperative and collaborative way uh, with good alignment. So the first steps on this one, Kerry, is right at the beginning is understanding what the product requirements are. What is it that, that, that we're buying in general? Um, and then the second piece of that is going a little bit deeper. So we would call this like the deeper dive where we're really trying to understand what are the details here? Do you have a constraint at your warehouse? Is there some um, specific formulation constraint that you need, you need to have? Um, what are the unique differences in your operation compared to other operations that we need to make sure we understand because every brewery has something that is unique to their location. And sometimes, it's really weird you know we, we really have to we really have to understand that in order to make sure we know what it is is, is being is being sourced. Uh, so that's the front end that's step one and step two is really nailing that that down. Also things like how do you need to buy how much inventory can you carry or does a supplier need to carry it for you all of those sorts of details there what kind of inks man there's so many different details here that's really what we're about in the front steps. And then the third step is looking and saying based now on what we know needs to be sourced, who's out there that can provide it? You know, there may be some suppliers that uh, the brewery's known, have worked with for years. There may be some other great suppliers out there that they've never uh, heard of, or just, you know, that that supplier's always been trying to contact them but couldn't get in the door or just everybody was too busy doing the buying. So they couldn't get the sourcing attention. So it's really, who's out there that can supply this sort of stuff and might be a good fit for um, the specifications and needs of, of those locations. Fourth is defining the strategy. What is going to be our strategy uh, on this based on how, you know, what, what the brewery needs are, are? Should we be going for a long-term relationship? Is this a spot buy? Is this a product that's just been launched and we're not really clear in the forecast? Or is this something that's been in place for 10, 20 years and we're very clear on how it's going to flow? All those sorts of things help define that, the strategy. Then, you know, we often go out to market. You know, here's how we go offer this to the, to the potential supplier so they can take their, take their crack at it based on very clearly defined needs. And then decisions are made about who's going to source and then we get into the implementation plan. That will be step step six, uh, define the plan, how we're we going to do a transition if it's a new supplier, how we're we going to optimize it if it's an existing supplier, All those details carry to make sure that the value for both the supplier and the brewer gets gets realized. And then step seven is implementing the plan. Step eight is just maintaining the relationship, doing the day-to-day, you know, relationship management piece. That's where we get more into the transactional work, the day-to-day. And then the last step was we usually just take a look back, say, "How would we do?" A little bit of a post-game de- debrief there. So that's it. You know, it sounds pretty complicated. It, it, it's not, but re- what it does it just it, it lets everybody we know because we're working with a lot of stakeholders usually in these types of programs. It lets everybody know how we're doing it, how we're going to make decisions, how we're going to operate together. It might adjust from time to time, depending on the nuances of the the brewery or the categories of the supplier sets. But that's generally how we do it. And again, it's not rocket science. It's not proprietary to us. This this is like the five rights. This is something that, you know, professional procurement organization, um, you know, they would they would operate very similarly in this in this way. Mm
0: -hmm. Indeed. But it is a checklist that, again, most folks who are doing purchase, because what I found is your small mid-sized breweries, the person who's doing the purchasing might be the same person that is running the brew house or the packaging line, or one of the owners that's wearing five hats and, you know, purchasing might not be their expertise, but they're doing it right. Yeah. So these, I think these models and these checklists can be, while they might seem relatively simple, they're also, I think, very usable, you know, you get your head around it, implement it. Uh, good way to make sure again you're kind of checking all the right boxes that's right carrie you know the other thing we found as we've worked
1: with you know uh, with uh, breweries is that it's it's they're they're you're right there there's often a lot of folks that are wearing a lot of different hats but they're usually very deep on one or two or three topics you know they might know hops really well but they've never done buying a fruit preps you know or they might know corrugated boxes really well but they're they just you know put in a can line it's the first time they've ever bought cans and the associated packages that go around around cans so um you know that that kind of front end there but what is it that we're buying and who are the suppliers out there that, that could be really impactful for somebody who for example is the first time they're launching a product that they' had to buy these types of things these non-beer related uh, products uh, for i mean that's that is a brand new field to play for for somebody that might have been very, very deep and spent decades in the brewing world, but uh, is being required to, to try these new products or these new formats, and they, they may not know where to start. Certainly not who all the suppliers are. So there's a there's a whole range of starting points here, Carrie, but, but most folks they're pretty good at certain things. Um, but we all get thrown for a loop now now and then. Me too, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, and then they just don't have the time as well. They you know if you don't get the truck. With your materials in, or the the, the tote with your flavors in, it what when your brewery's not running, and, and that that's always going to take priority than doing some of this uh, sourcing work.
0: Indeed. So let's dig in on another term here: Porter's Five Forces. We're all going to learn a little more about purchasing and uh, and digging deep. So maybe tell us about a, a sourcing strategy example and what is Porter's Five Forces.
1: Well, again, it's it, this is. Uh, you know, this is business school sort of sort of stuff. Uh, you know, textbooky sort of stuff. But it is really important to understand how a, a a supplier marketplace or a brewer marketplace works. And and Porter's Five Forces models. It's just a good way to to help get your head around that, and also to see how it's changing over over the years. So if you look at the Five Forces, and you know, it's it it's hard to do by voice. It's better to do on a diagram or a whiteboard. But let me just give it a shot here, Kerry. Um, you've got five forces that interact with each other that show the dynamic of a particular marketplace. So right in the middle, the one that we always are aware of is category competition. What's the competition for that category? So in in craft beer, we know there's a lot of competition in craft beer. For a supply base, you know, you look at a particular category and say some categories have more competition, meaning more suppliers available than, than others. So that is one of the forces is how much competition is there in a particular category that you're, you're trying to buy, buy from. So that's right in the middle. Above that is what is the threat of new entries? So if there is low competition, but there's an opportunity for new suppliers to come into the marketplace, that is a, a very significant force. It might change, might change the game. The next one is the threat of substitution. So what is the opportunity for moving from category A to category B? So this might be substituting out one hop variety for another. This might be substituting out international or domestic specialty malt for another international or domestic specialty malt. Um, This could be looking at things like, should we be doing paper packaging versus plastic packaging? There's so many different variations of the threat of substitution. But this is one that a lot of folks, they don't really consider as much as they should is, hey, we've always done it this way. We've always put something in this type of package or we've always had this type of ingredient. What if you tried something different? And particularly in this supply constraint world that we've entered into, sometimes you need to do that because all of a sudden the thing you counted on, you you can't get reliably anymore. You know, like small orders of cans right now have become very, very important. So maybe you should be looking at alternatives for for that. Um, so that is the substitution. The third, fourth is forces. How how significant is the buying power? And most craft brewers are fairly small. You know, as we all are, we don't have huge buying power compared to. You know, companies that might be buying billions and billions of dollars worth of, worth of things. So, our buying power is generally fairly fairly low. Um, you know, part of what we do is to aim to create more buying power by by doing the, the group uh, the group approach, um, and also for for small sellers, small suppliers that might be trying to compete against large suppliers, an opportunity for them to uh, you know create some momentum in this in this space. Uh, maybe maybe fighting off the 800-pound uh, gorillas that are, that are out there. And then the last force, as you would imagine, is the opposing force of that is ha- how, what's the, the the power of the seller, all right? So are the suppliers very powerful or, or not? And again, depending on the category you're looking at, sometimes there's there's a lot of uh, power in, in the suppliers, you know, especially if it's a constrained supply environment uh, versus... Um, you know, a a category where there might be lots of players. So so that's looking at that, you know, how those forces interact with each other will give you a sense for how you might want to approach the sourcing in a category. I also recommend looking at that every, every year or so because that changes rapidly and even maybe more rapidly than a year as we come in into this uh, new environment of uh, post COVID uh, market gyration. So that's, that's what the Porter five forces is that's how you might use it in something like this and it's just a way to help frame up Kerry, what what is a supplier marketplace what is a buyer marketplace and and what are some things you need to look look out for and what are the advantages for everybody in that in that system and trying to find the, the best advantage for, for everybody involved
0: I like it thanks for going through those um you have a list as oh, a way, Porter is an actual,
1: person so the name of this is the reference to the action so again I I take no credit for for this this is stuff that that I learned through through the years and uh it but I find this one is particularly impactful in in terms of looking at, at sourcing and getting your heads around what what you should do strategically so I think there's a there's a very large set of materials on this if anybody wants to look at it I find it fascinating Again, this goes maybe a little down the list of the sexiness factor, but I, I think it's pretty cool. So I would recommend you to take a look and learn a little bit more about porter
0: Slash forces. There you go. Yeah. Anything you can use to, again, I guess, Im- improve your financial results, your operational results. Doesn't matter where it comes from as long as it's, you know, readily usable and applicable. So I think it's, I think it's great stuff. Right. So f- taking, um, another list that you have relative to purchasing, you have a list of watchouts, you know, kind of maybe pitfalls, risks to manage, um, maybe take us through those. So sometimes it's helpful for people to think about the opposite of, you know, not necessarily always what to do. We've covered a number of those tactics and strategies, but maybe what to watch out for, what risks are out there.
1: Yeah, and this list could be huge, okay, Kerry? So I know we've only got a certain amount of time, so I'll, I'll focus on some ones that are particularly interesting, you know, now. Um, but and it could be very specific as well, depending on the category, all right? So let me just give you some highlights though here. Um, you know, number one, obviously is I'll beat the drum of forgetting about sourcing and just doing the, the buying, all right? So, that, so that's a big issue is make sure you, you, you carve out the time to do the sourcing. Of course, we can help with, with that, but that is something that is critically important here and make sure you do it on all your big categories, not just the ones that you know well or that are particularly interesting to you you know sometimes you got to do the ones that are really not sexy (laughs) but really have a significant impact in terms of the operation um so don't forget about that the supplier solvency risk is one that sometimes i hear uh is 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 a risk is really make sure that if you're dealing with suppliers particularly ones that are not known to you or or maybe, you know, if you just entered a new market, a new category, just make, make sure they're robust, okay? Because if you're counting on something and then all of a sudden that supplier can't get it to you because they've had a financial failure or some sort of solvency issue, that, that's, a huge, that's a huge problem. And unfortunately, I've seen that happen a few times and it doesn't, it, it, it never ends well. It puts everybody in a lot of risk. So a little bit of extra work on the front end just to make sure everything's healthy there, you know, financially healthy is really is really worth it. Here's a huge one, Kerry, and I say particularly because of the period we're in right now where we've got rapidly inflating commodities, anything from oil to aluminum to grains, you name it, is not understanding the underlying commodity risk. So if you're buying something and a huge portion of that is tied to a commodity, you got to understand how that's going to move throughout the months quarters and years going going forward, how it's gonna impact you, or you might get an unpleasant surprise. I mean, if they go down, if the price of commodities go down, you might get a pleasant surprise, but going forward, what we've seen recently is that all these commodities have done nothing but go go up. And if you're not expecting, because you don't know that you've got a embedded impact there, and, and then you get a call from a supplier that says, hey, by the way, your price is just gonna go up by X, X percent because of this. That can be a really nasty surprise. So really understand how those are gonna work. We got, I guess, a little spoiled in this industry over the past decade or so, where we did not have a lot of you know significant movements up or down in, in commodities. That's all changed. The volatility is severe. It's not going away. And unfortunately, the trend has been up straight up. I mean, today, I just, just saw on the reports Today, aluminum hit, aluminum traded aluminum, the commodity just hit an all-time high, right now. You know, oil just broke at hundred dollars a barrel. Th- these are these are things that are happening now, and you don't want to get surprised. So that's a big, big watch out, Kerry, going forward. Um, wow. God forbid somebody puts a package on promotion, and it's one of the items that are most exposed to the commodity risk, and they didn't know it. You know they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have been pushing that product. For example, would be a a, a consequence of not watching up for for this. Okay, uh, reputational risk. This is one that you know it, it's it's not a huge factor, but when it happens, it's a really big deal. So you want to make sure you're not buying something in a way that um, goes against your your culture and your values of your organization. Okay, and everybody's going to make their own decision on this, but there are some things out there that we want to be careful of right now. I mean, shoot, Russia just invaded Ukraine last week. Do you know if any of your items are exposed to any Russian suppliers? And does that matter to you? In some companies, it matters tremendously. In other companies, it doesn't matter at all. So you have to make your own decisions on those types of reputational risks to make sure that you're doing things in the right way. I mean, if you're selling... Well, I, won't, I won't go into details of that, but this is something that you, you have to make your own decisions and make sure you're strategically aligned with, with your company's directions. I mean, so many mistakes can be made here. You know, something's supposed to be gluten-free. You better make sure it's gluten-free, right? <laughs> so many examples of, of this um, environmental risks. I mean, again, good habits here, I think are, 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 are important here, but the last thing you want to do is have one of your suppliers or one of your products or one of your, you know, transportation providers delivering a product end up as an environmental bad bad actor. So if that's really important to you as it is to me, and it should be, I think, for everybody, I don't want to oppose it. That's a watch out. Uh, that's a watch out as uh, as well, tied into reputational risk. I think, but also an important factor going forward. Um, I mean, if you're claiming to be a sustainable brewer, <clears throat> you know, low carbon emitter, you you better make sure your suppliers are are too, you know, or at least understand where they're not and make and make a decision that way. Um, supplier capacity risk, boy, this has been such a huge factor over the past year or two, you've got suppliers out there that have always had capacity, they were always able to do the rush order, they were always able to help you out, do you a favor, you know, get, get graphics in quick, um, you know, find some extra hops somewhere. That's not happening anymore. And it's not because they don't want to, it's just because suppliers don't have the capacity they need to. And even if they do have enough capacity, related elements in the supply chain don't. Maybe they've got the materials, but they can't get the truck to get it to you anymore. Right, Kerry? So this is is really, really an important watch out going forward is make sure if you've got a capacity need, if you need something at a certain time and a certain quantity, all those five rights, you gotta spend a lot more time now making sure that you've got that locked in in whatever way makes sense for the category. Otherwise you're gonna be exposing yourself to a big, big risk without even knowing it. So that's a huge, that's a huge watch out. Maybe I'll kind of pause on that one cause that's the biggest one going forward, Carrie. But like I said, I could go on forever on this list but that supply uh, capacity, supply chain risk is probably the biggest single Watch out that's emerged over the past year and will continue, unfortunately, um, for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, that's a good list. And, you know, there's a lot to to think about, right? We have all these these models that we can use in purchasing. There's these pitfalls, these list of things we need to watch out for. But certainly it's a lot. So, you know, I think if, if a brewery owner is listening to this podcast and they're not really sure kind of what their immediate next step is or where to begin relative to their purchasing, do you have any advice for them on how to get started? Yeah, I do, Carrie. And this one it goes back to where we started on the call. And
1: and I know you do the, the financial side of things, Carrie. It's 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 really about understanding where the where the, the dollars are. And what I found is a lot of breweries they spend a lot of time talking about a certain category that's important to them. I mean, it's, it is important, but it may not be the one that has the biggest dollar amount. So really understand where the money is, and that, that list of the five top items we went through earlier in the call, every brewery owner should understand what what's the money going out, who's it going to, and how much are we spending on these things in total? Not just the ones we talk about, but the ones that might be buried deep in a P&L list somewhere and really understand that total, total spectrum. And that'll give you a sense. If, if your top five items represent 50% of the, your purchased items and you're not spending 50% of your time on that, That's the problem. You can't know the answer to that question until you've got it laid out what you're spending. And and this is everything. This is not just what's in the bill of materials. This is all the other stuff, too. The transportation, the CO2, the adhesives, maybe some capital equipment, maybe some um, warehouse and logistics, uh, third party services. Whatever it is, make sure you understand where the money is and you're applying your resources appropriately to the money. Sounds so boring, Kerry. Sounds like a bank, you know. But that's that's often where we see the biggest opportunity. Is just areas that have been missed because they weren't a problem, uh, even though there was a lot of money being spent on. Them. So that so that's where I'd start, Kerry, uh, Where you know where the money is, then you can start building your, your plan and making sure you're 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 focused appropriately.
0: It makes sense to me. It's sort of an 80-20 approach, right? You're like, where is the bulk of the dollars? I should be spending the bulk of my time managing it. And you really don't know, as you said, until you quantify it. So seek first to understand, right? Get in there, understand your costs.
1: I would say most of the people we work with were spending too much time on certain things and not nearly enough on others because they didn't they didn't have that analysis or they didn't have that that, that mindset. And it's, very, it's a very easy thing to do, and it's a very quick way to get, get started. So that's, that's how I get started, Carry, if, if I was a brewery owner and wanted to get going on this.
0: That's great. And I think that's a, that's a great spot to end on as well, give folks an actionable item to, uh, to jump in on. So, Tim, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about Aggregate, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, we've got a great website, agrogate.com Again, it's
1: A-G-R-O-W-G-A-T-E dot uh, dot com. We've got to grow in there because we want everybody to grow their grow their business together with us. Um, there's ways to connect us uh, on on there. Um, we also have, uh, you know, other resources available on that website. Uh, I would use that website. Um, and uh, I suppose they could probably contact you, Carrie, as, as well. But aggregate.com is probably the best way. Best way to do it. We'd love to hear it
0: from all right we'll put that link in the show notes and uh, tim thanks so much for the time a lot of great information you know we'll share a lot of this in the uh in the show notes section so people can kind of kind of read through it but uh, thanks so much for the time and your expertise thank you for listening to the craft brewery financial training podcast where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery for more resources tools guides and online courses visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.